Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Every day. Hundreds of thousands of us are building a future we can all be proud of. For over 36 years, the growth CBUS My Super Investment Option has returned an average of 8.98% per annum for its members, while investing in projects that not only create jobs, but a better future. CBUS, for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you this is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with a special presentation of Story Time with your hosts Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thank you, announcing man, who is definitely not me. It is Story Time, and uh, Jeff here. The important thing to note off the top of the show today, with great excitement, Adam, is that Jody Hicks made a ton. She did. Hi, Jeff. Yes, it felt like the right place to start the show. Hixie, who you've uh, invested so much time in and so much energy in her career over the last few years, has made a first-grade ton. Uh, Not just any old ton either, 120 off just 124 deliveries against a pretty strong Bankstown side on the weekend. We received plenty of notifications about that. John O'Halen, Pat Rogers, Richie Johnson to name but a few. But you were very excited when you saw it. You said it to me within minutes. I did. Well, I had to because, well, John O drew my attention to it. And then before too long, I found actual video footage <laughs> of the moment on Twitter of the, the moment the ton was raised. So, you know, and this was, you know, a pretty substantial chase, canted to it, four wickets down. You know, Jody Hicks, who's been batted at number 10 by the Sydney Sixers for 
six years running um, and pretty much, well, got to face about half a dozen balls in her career. Maybe, maybe if they let her bat, she'd make runs. Just saying. It's just a, just a thing. Anyway, it was, it was nice to see after having those less than pleasant moments in the last WBBL season that Jodie got a moment in the sun uh, out on the cricket field, uh, not just an innings in the sun fielding <laughs> <laughs> and they're not getting to do I've anything I've just got else. three words to, to utter. Four more years, I say. Four more years with the Sydney Sixers for Jodie mm. Hicks, I think, is only appropriate after. I mean, if you're making <laughs> runs at the level below, as they always say, you're going to force your way into the representative yep. side and she's done just that, so well done, Jodie. New contract has to be in the mail. I'm looking forward to the signing announcement at some point during the off-season ahead of next Australian summer. But this is story time. This is the show where we wander through cricket history, uh, recent and distant, and tell you stories uh, via the mechanism of the numbers that are sent to us by our listeners. Uh, It's a thing we look forward to every week. We've been Deep in the sheets, in the spreadsheets, in the graphs, in the historical articles, uh, you've got ink from wrists to elbows, Adam, and you are ready to let rip. Ink from wrists to elbows, and we're we're ferocious in the spreadsheets. So it's a nice, nice way to think about it. I am. I have. We have together. We've been working through this for a number of days, and that's how. It plays now for us sort of behind the curtain we we record the weekly show on say monday or tuesday depending on what's going on around the cricketing world and the rest of our week from pretty much from saturday onwards until the next week is spent deep in the minds deep in the scorecards deep in the dms and we get a chance to tell all of those tales when we gather again on a friday night all right let us with no further ado do exactly that and we will do it adam via the mechanism of nerd pledge that's where we start nerd pledge it's the game that we accidentally invented uh, via (laughs) its creator philip meng who didn't know what he was starting but he started it on the final word a couple of years ago now nerd pledge the game we play with the lovely people on our patron page uh, they financially support the show by sending us not a normal amount of currency but an amount of currency that links to cricket in some way and we have to figure out what it is sometimes there are clues sometimes there aren't it doesn't matter we get to the bottom of it one way or another our first number off the shelf is a dollar 26 it comes in from india from anurban gupta nigam who sent the following note saying, my pledge is weird, or maybe not. This sounds like classical sort of teenage self-doubt here. (laughs) I'm I'm the weirdest person in the world. Anurban says, though I love India as home, familiarity and a form of life, I am disturbed enough by the situation there to not make a pledge valorising India. It's silly, and I'm fairly confident that's a clue enough for you. Well, pretty much everything on this show is silly um, at one time or another, so I'm not sure if, if it's entirely specific, but we're looking at 126 in a way that's not valorizing India. So it, it it has to be something that happened to India that was not good. Mm. So the only two times an Indian team got bowled out for 126 in international cricket, one was a one-dayer where they then held the West Indies to a tie. Oh, the whacker. And one was against Pakistan in a test match, where, yeah, which we discussed probably eight weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's about right. Yep in 91 or or thereabouts Mm -hmm. and once it happened in a test against Pakistan but they held on to draw the test so it hasn't been a bad number in those terms in tests or one day cricket the only other thing I could find initially was that Ishant Sharma has made 126 scores 
under 20 in test <laughs> matches, uh, as well as seven scores over 20. So that might be seen to be, you know, somewhat silly that 126 was, for someone who's had more innings than, you know, all but half a dozen Indian players, the, the batting record is not necessarily that great. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. What, what did you think? Well, my first thought was the 1996 World Cup semi-final because I think I'm right in saying that game actually was was forfeited at the end. Eight down India were when um, there were a number of um, hmm. fires in the crowd and, and the umpires just basically called it off and gave the game to Sri Lanka. I mean, they weren't going to win anyway and it was a, a fairly hmm. poor way for the tournament to end, not for the players, but the, those in the crowd who were dissatisfied with the result. Hmm. But that was on 122 for eight when, when that all kicked off. There, there is, if I can link you to one other thing from that World sure. Cup, when Australia beat India, Mark Waugh made 126, opening the batting, Ooh, yeah. and almost no one else made any runs for Australia. Yep. But Mark Waugh's innings got them up to a big enough score that they won that match, so there could be a World Cup league. Yeah, one of four centuries that Waugh made in that tournament, Tendulkar made for himself. Where I went, though, uh, I, I kind of thought more broadly, like, when is a time when India have not met expectations, perhaps? And I ended up landing mm-hmm. on a, a T20 international from a couple of years ago, Jeff, February 2019. I kind of sort of remember it, but I think I even might have done the live blog for it, come to think of it. But, you know, sometimes with those T20 internationals, they one blends mm. into the other. But there was an absolute corker yep. to start that series where the number 126 was relevant because that's all that India made. One, two, six for seven from their 20 overs. And that's kind of unheard of for an Indian team comprising of Rohit Sharma, K.L. Rahul, Virat Kohli, Rishabh Pant, mm. M.S. Dhoni. That's the top five. For them to only make 126 is um, a stark underperformance, I suppose you would say. And um, the Australian bowling lineup of Nathan coulton who went for gazillions in the uh, in the IPL draft overnight, uh, I should add. Uh, Jason Berendorf, Adam Zampa, uh, Jumping Jai, Richardson, Darcy Short, and Pat Cummins did the job with the ball. Uh, Cummins bowling third change uh, on the scorecard. I doubt Pat Cummins has ever bowled third change in any game in his life other than that particular uh, T20 international. But no, it, w- it was hard graft for Australia. So they got the 127 they needed from the last ball. So they were hard held. And that final over, as I went on to mm. remember and look back through, was an incredible effort from Pat Cummins and Jai Richardson. Neither of them had faced a ball when the 20th over started. They're seven or eight down, I think it is. And they they both make seven off three deliveries, including uh, six runs from the final mm. two from Pat Cummins to get them over the line. A four and a two from the final two deliveries of the game, bowled by Yumesh Yadav. And Australia went 1-0 up in the series, chasing uh, 127. So India made 126. And, of course, uh, it was Glenn Maxwell who put... Uh, a nice uh, full stop on that a couple of games later when he made a ridiculous century to chase many, many more than one, two, six. And that was the mm. start of something for Australia, I suppose, in 2019, winning a string of white ball games in a row. And it, I think it all kind of began in the, in the T20 internationals. Yeah, my memory of it is that, did they only play two? I think they only played two T20s right. and then went into the five-match ODI series. I, I think that's how it panned out. Okay. And they lost the first two one-days and then, and then won the last three and sort of went off, you know, got, got some momentum going towards the World Cup. The other possibility for 126 in India, I reckon, is another T20 in India, but wind back to 2016, the T20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. In the first game of that tournament, there was a huge to-do, a brouhaha, if you will, Adam, <laughs> because India were playing New Zealand and they held New Zealand to 126 and then didn't chase it. Oh, they got right. bowled out for 79 yeah, 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 that's right. in the first that. game of that, of that tournament. And it was considered to be a national scandal that, that, that they'd been bowled out for 79. But to this day... 
that is the lowest total that any team has defended against India in a T20 international, <laughs> which is pretty extraordinary. Like they've chased everything, everything they've been set under 130, they've chased. They've only been held under 140 a couple of times chasing in T20 internationals, which is pretty extraordinary. So that is still, 126 is still the lowest score that they've failed to chase in a T20. So maybe that's what Anaban is thinking of as well. So those are some options. You can let us know if we've got anywhere near your number in the patron DMs and uh, let us know if we've got it right or wrong. The next number on the list is a double header. This means two different people have sent through the same number at different times. One of them is a new pledger, Declan Lawler. One of them is a return pledger, Bernard Sayer, the man who delivered eight different iced coffees to my apartment in Adelaide <laughs> during the Adelaide Death Match. Thank you, Bernard, which which I, I carried home with me and delivered one to you at the MCG. So that's, that's absolute dedication. The number is $3.42. There is a hint from Declan that says... I come from the southwest of England. You can sing that like men at work if you want to, Adam. Yeah, that didn't take me long to get either um, because, of course, that's Justin Langer's highest score in professional cricket. He made 342 for Somerset when he was leading the club uh, against Surrey back in 2006. And that's a club record for Somerset. I had a look at the scorecard, though, and uh, I didn't realise that it was made in such a high-scoring game. So Somerset make 688 for eight declared. Langer, of course, top scoring with 342 from just... 416 balls, so he went quite quickly. The next highest score in that innings was actually 77 by his opening partner. They put on uh, 220-odd for the first wicket. But in reply, Surrey at Guildford, which is... A road, usually. It's, it's, the, it's the sort of ground where you do see many high scores. But Surrey went on to make 717 uh, in reply. Game over. So Ouch. 688 against 717, <laughs> and that was that. But, yeah, Langer's career at Taunton was a fine one. He, he played the majority of his cricket there after he finished for Australia between uh, 2006 and 2009 at different intervals. He was the international player. There are one of the international players there, three of them as captain. He played 48 games all up of Red Bull cricket, made over 3,500 runs at 51. Nine centuries along the way, including that triple in uh, 2006. He actually finished with 86 first-class hundreds, which is the same as Gary Sobers in just 13 more innings, which I thought was quite impressive on that particular measure. And that's, of course, more than Ricky Ponting and Darren Lehman, who both made 82 first-class tons, albeit in 494 and 479 hits, respectively, whereas Langer batted 612 times, I think it was, in in first-class cricket, which I suppose if you extrapolate that out, if Ponting bats another 120 times or something like that to pull level with Langer in terms of innings played, he probably would have got to 100 hundreds, Mm -hmm. but he finished up in in 2013 at Surrey, which was the club that uh, Langer made his 3-4-2 against. Wow, and so if you, as per Justin Langer's method, if you add his 86 first-class tonnes to his 23 test tonnes, he made 109 (laughs) tonnes. We're never going to let that go, are we? Um, remarkable stuff. So, yeah, you know, up there with so busy. Justin Langer's left arm finger spin probably wasn't quite so hot, I reckon. I think he bowled, he, he bowled um, right arm leg breaks, didn't he, if, if I recall correctly. And I, and I did um, Justin Langer in the 2001 Lakshman Drabber mm. day. He bowled six overs, yep. including the final over of the day. Talk about giving up. By the end of play, it was, yeah. it was Hayden and Langer bowling through the death there in the final session yeah. when they were being driven into the ground. 
because everyone was absolutely rooted. Oh, yeah. um, I remember playing EA Sports Cricket. It was probably 2002 model when I was a, a teenager. And the way the bowling worked was that when you had a bowler, they had a little a circle on the pitch, which is where the ball would land. And the better the bowler was, the smaller that circle was. And so you could, you could choose where you wanted the circle to be and it would land somewhere in that vicinity. Mm-hmm. And if you bowled with Matthew Hayden or Justin Langer, the circle was larger than the pitch. It went from one side to the other with about a foot on either side. It was like, it will land somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, that seems about right. But, you know, sometimes it worked. Shit gets wickets. So the other one for Burn, I'm sure Bernard Sayer is just Bernard Sayer, but I always kind of end up calling him Bernard Sayer. I've probably watched too much Westworld in which Bernard is, is a key character. But uh, Bernard's clue was, I've been a SACA member for 10 years this summer. That, of course, is the South Australian Cricket Association. So... That would lead me to think initially that it would be Tim May's cap number, the the Sackers uh, favourite son, one of the off spinner from South Australia. Uh, that seems like the the obvious logical solution. Yeah. Also, Andy Flower made three hundred and forty two shield runs for South Australia. <laughs> you'll, you'll be pleased to know, Adam. Yeah, he, he, not many uh, internationals have really played in the Sheffield Shield over the last twenty years. But was it the two thousand and three four season, if I recall correctly? Could have been. Um, you would probably be more likely to remember that than me. But there were... South Australia have had some... They've probably had more internationals than most in that they had uh, they had Eunice Khan play for them for a little bit. Um, but they also Khan. had... Eunice Khan. Khan. Khan, Eunice. They also had Garfield St. Auburn Sobers play for them. And so I've got a couple of other little South Australian treats relating to 342. One of which is in 1964 when Sobers is playing for South Australia. Justin Langer was unavailable, so they picked up <laughs> Sobers instead. He takes three wickets in the first innings to help bowl out WA for 200. Then he makes 195 when he bats to set up a huge lead. A second time around, Sobers versus the WA top five. He gets four wickets and a run out <laughs> to get rid of the top five batsmen. WA recover to make 342, which is our number in question, um, but that only gives them a lead of 45 and South Australia win. Um, so that might be one that would linger in the memory for a, a South Australian uh, nut. And, and another one might be a Shield Classic from 1995 between the same teams... One of your favourites, Adam, Paul Nobes, makes a ton opening the batting. South Australia make 397. Adam Gilchrist makes a ton batting behind Brad Hogg, who's at six I've got a with feeling, Gilchrist at seven. Yeah, I've got a feeling that might be Gilchrist's <laughs> first 100 for WA. That's a crazy game, isn't it? It's like the margin's like 10 runs at the mm. end or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you just wait. So, so WA gets oh, right. a 333. South Australia make our number, which is 342 for six declared with a ton for Ben Johnson, who was had come over from Canada, um, was probably still on the gear, but was able to get a few in the middle for South Australia. And so then having set WA 407 to win which is one more than the famous Bradman chase mm-hmm. of 406 in a test match in the Ashes. Western Australia make 398. No one makes 100, but there are three near hundreds from Mark Lavender, Damian Martin and Tom Moody. And South Australia win by eight runs at the Adelaide Oval um, and hold them off. So that might also be a 342. Yeah, it's a bit of a precursor for the year after where South Australia hold uh, WA off in the final, albeit different circumstances uh, where South Australia in the final over. It's uh, Shane George, isn't it? Uh, and with Peter McIntyre uh, at the very end with Brendan Julian and everybody running onto Adelaide Oval and South Australia 
winning the Shield. They haven't won it since, but um, yeah, it was a good little rivalry between uh, WA and SA at the time. And speaking of Bernard and Burns, uh, my uh, my partner Rachel found in um, in my kit the other day that I'd stashed in my bag to take back to England for me the the Field of Burn T-shirt that uh, that I made back in 2016 with patron and friend Dylan Leach, which instead of Bernie Sanders has a big picture of Bernie Quinlan super boot <laughs> in the middle of it. <laughs> so she was wearing that around <laughs> Melbourne today. <laughs> Entirely your areas. <laughs> so we've we've had a single person number. We've had a double header, and now we're going to have a triple header. Three. Adam Collins, three people with the same number: two dollars thirty-one or two pounds thirty-one, coming in from Ellen Edgar, from Brian Strain, and from Steve Lofthouse. Alan is first cab, pledging in euros, which sometimes gives us a little bit of a hint and would like us to do some first-class detective work. That's the line from Mm, Alan. Yeah, he just told me that before. Alan's one of my best mates, so uh, I do know that he likes to think of himself as as very continental, Uh, so that might be why he's pledged in Euros. It may have nothing to do with the fact Mm. of European cricket. But, um, well, look, Alan loves Middlesex more than most, so that was where I started. So it won't be Bob White who played for England in the interwar period because he didn't play for Middlesex. That's my very quick reductive reasoning there. He might have made an exception for Wally Hammond, who he loved, loves, loved. He didn't stop loving him because, of course, Hammond, it's not as though Hammond we'll never stop died no. and Alan stopped loving him because Hammond died before Alan was born. Hammond made 231 yep. not out for um, England uh, against Australia at Sydney in 36-37. He's the only player to make 231 twice in professional cricket. The other instance was for Gloucestershire. I think that was back in 1932. There is a Middlesex connection with Sam Robson, though. So uh, the Middlesex opener, the current Middlesex opener, made his highest mm. first-class score, 231, at Lords against Warwickshire in 2016. And that was just at the time when everyone's saying they're going to bring him back. He's going to make a return to the England side after playing mm. in 2014, but they went the other way. I think they went with Gary Balance. So they went with Nick Compton initially, another Middlesex player at the time, but then they went to Gary Balance when they dropped Compton and Robson fell out of contention and hasn't really been on the radar since. And the last little note here I've got is the Nawab of Batawdi, the elder uh, of the two, uh, made a first-class 231 uh, for Warwickshire against Essex in 1933. And given that is the season after Bodyline, which he was prominently involved in, and Alan loves referring to Bodyline. When we first met on the Victor Trumpet cricket board all those years ago, his display picture was that of Douglas Jardine. And you know what? It probably still is a picture of Douglas Jardine now. So Mm. there's an outside chance that might be it. But that's a few options that I'm sure Alan will come back to me when he hears this. The double Nawab. Imagine you're squaring off to to fight the Nawab of Pataudi and then you turn around and another Nawab of Pataudi has just come in the other door behind you. You can't take on two at once. One of our listeners, uh, one of our one of our patrons under the screen name of Farcical uh, sent us a list that he found on the internet that said there are a lot of other Nawabs around the place. There's a whole stack of them, Nawabs of different joints, one of which is named the Nawab of Sachin, which I like particularly, <laughs> um, that you can... Sachin has his very own Nawab. And another that I enjoyed was the Nawab of Tonk, T-O-N-K, the Nawab of Tonk. And I just thought when I was watching uh, Adam White captain the Media 11 the other day and belting a few over the rope at deep midwicket, I thought it's a fitting name for him. He should be the Nawab of Tonk <laughs> in Australian circumstances from now on. The, the Prince 
of belting the shit out of it, the Nawab of Tom. He's very, very good at it indeed, uh, the captain of the Media 11. G'day, Whitey. Uh, of course, he was on the show just last week talking about uh, the Big Bash, if you want to hear how that all ended up. Right, so next on 231 is Brian Strain. The only clue there was that it relates to New Zealand, and the only real link I had was that uh, the two-metre Peter Fulton, who played 17 test matches for New Zealand between 2006 and 2013. But this is kind of an area of interest to me more broadly. I've been interested in the two-metre Peter thing for a few years and sort of adding them to my list. So there's two-metre Peter Fulton, Peter Street, Peter George, Peter Wright, the young Essendon player who was at the Gold Coast, and, of course, Peter Crouch. I, I, at one point, I, I said very in a very Partridge-esque kind of way on Twitter that I would like to make a sitcom about the five two-metre Peters living in a share house together. But, I don't know. <laughs> we, we can live to dream. Would it be called Ten Metres of Peter? <laughs> That might be that might be another film they might Are make later ready? on. <laughs> In their private time. <laughs> Not when my cameras are rolling. <laughs> uh, yeah, well look, I suppose if you're two metres tall and you're called Brian, no one's gonna be like, Two metre Brian. So, you know, it's it's um what's the what's the word? It's confirmation bias. Yes. You you only ever see two metre Peters being called that. So the, where I went with this for two thirty one was the Jones off. Uh, rewind to the Wacker, January 1988, okay. the second ODI in the World Series Cup, sparking up at Benson and Hedges <laughs> as you take a moment to consider the, the peak 80s-ness of these two teams for New Zealand, John Wright and Andrew Jones opening the batting, Martin and Jeff Crow at three and four, Deepak Patel hint, pinch hitting at number five, Beautiful. Tony Blaine keeping wicket, and then Richard Hadley, John Bracewell, Martin Snedden, Stu Gillespie and Ewan Chatfield. And then for Australia, you've got Jeff Swampy Marsh and David Boone opening, Dean Jones at three, Alan Border at four, Mike Valletta at five, <laughs> Steve Waugh being a young all-rounder at six, uh, current Australian Cricketers Association President Greg Dyer with the gloves, Peter Who, Peter Taylor, bowling spin, Tony Dodamade, McDermott and Mike Whitney. So super 80s teams. The Aussies were 78 for none and then Bracewell gets Boone first ball, gets Marsh out soon after. Hadley comes on and takes three in a row. They both bowl 10 overs off the reel. It sort of tells you about the <laughs> tactics in those days. So the two best bowlers are done by the 36th over and then it's Dino left alone versus the rest. This is in the in the run chase. I, I should specify this is right. after uh, New Zealand have already made 2-3-2 two, two batting first. So... They need 10 and over off the last six overs. Dino's belting boundaries. He's got Craig McDermott with him who hits a big six down the ground, very nearly gets another one, but Patel takes a freak one-handed catch at, at long off, jumping up. Dino gets it down to 16 needed off 15 balls uh, at one point, and then Dota Maid gets stuck on strike. Dino's trying to get the strike back and trying to pinch a single to change it over. He gets run out on 92. They need eight off the last over. They get it down to needing three off the last two balls I think or two off the last three balls and Mike Whitney tries to go over cover instead of knocking a single and gets caught and Australia lose by a run New Zealand win by a run Australia all out for 231 so that would be my nomination for a New Zealand link that is classic glory days World Series Cup isn't it the names you rattled off the way the game played out 10 overs on the spin for a couple of bowlers Dean Jones smashing runs towards the end finishing on the final ball it's, that, that brings back a lot of good memories 
So that uh, th- those are two of our numbers for the 231 because this is a triple header. Yes. There is also Steve, uh, who was a recent pledge, who got moved up the list to join this triple header. That's right. No clue. What have you got for Steve? Well, just firstly, I'd note it's two years this week since we released our Ian Chappell interview. He was the 231st Australian Test cricketer. Um, if you haven't listened to it, it's back in the feed. I think we've put it out a couple of times now, once at the time and then last year, along with maybe one of the early Storytime episodes. Anyway, it's there in the feed. You can you can Google it and find it, one of our best long-form interviews. But instead of Chappelle, let's go to another one of our final word faves, Vinu Mancad, Jeff, uh, his career best 230. Uh, was made in January 1956. Opening the batting, he made it in 525 minutes. It was the fifth test in Chennai. The fifth test, I should say. Imagine that these days. Five test matches between India and New Zealand. I'd bloody love it. I can't see the schedule as feeling the same way. But anyway, it's not really about the 2-3-1, although that's a considerable achievement from the great man. It was the 413-run partnership he had at the start of the innings with Pankaj Roy. That was a record at the time for opening the batting. It lasted until 2008 when Graham Smith and Neil McKenzie broke it by just two runs at Chittagong against Bangladesh. But all these years later, the 413 uh, that Mankad and Roy put on is the 12th highest stand in all Test cricket. Wow. All right. Thank you for getting Pankaj Roy into the final word, as you should have done. Uh, another number, a double header. No, a triple header. Another triple header. We've gone <laughs> one, double, triple, triple. Chris Jones, Dane Hanstead and Dat Griffin. Let's see. There's a clue for Chris. for what, And the number is $1.16 or €1.16 in the case of Dat Griffin. Chris says, this is about the most overshadowed career best, which I thought could refer to Walter Hadley. His only test century was 116, uh, given that he was the father of Richard Hadley, Mm -hmm. who we mentioned earlier, who helped win that game for New Zealand and many, many others. So Walter Hadley's son went on to much greater acclaim than the 11 test matches and 100 made by Walter Hadley. So that could be overshadowed and then when I was trawling around some things for a second I got quite excited because I thought it could be Corey Anderson of New Zealand as well his highest test score was 116 but I was thinking of the innings he played with Brendan McCullum in Christchurch in 2016 when Corey Anderson was I think 72 from 66 balls and he was the anchor in the partnership yeah, yeah. because they were going along at I think 10 and a half and over through their stand when McCullum made the fastest 100 in test history. If ever there was an innings that was overshadowed it was that 72 but it was not the 116 that Anderson made in a different match as his highest score but the 72 of 66 was his final test match. He never played again and now he's in the USA maybe going to qualify to play for America. I was going to say I haven't heard much about Corey in the last couple of years and you're right he was going with uh, Baz that day. It's not as though he was uh, he was defending up the other end and watching the, the fireworks. But, yeah, it's a shame that he's not played more test cricket because he was a, a real likely type. I think it was his back, wasn't it, the reason he couldn't bowl long spells and became a T20 specialist. And I didn't know he was playing in the USA. Maybe we'll see more of him on the international stage over the next couple of years. But instead of all of that, I'm going to go with... A 
nasty old bastard. If you're hearing that music and you're a newcomer uh, to the final word or story time, you might wonder why is Chesney Hawks and his classic from 1991, the one and only, getting a run on your podcast? Well, that's because we decided last year that occasionally, or in the end it's been most weeks, I would talk about a player whose story was less well-known because they only played a couple of test matches. They are a collection of dusty old bastards, as we agreed to call it. And one of those is Roger Hartigan. Now, in a way, I feel a bit sheepish about putting Roger on this list, Jeff, because he is one of only 20 Australian men to make a test century on debut. But I feel as though out of that list of 20, his story might be the least well-known, maybe, or if not the least well-known, the biggest gap between the feat on that day and the extent to which we know about it now. It was back in 1908, Adelaide, Ashes Clash, and it's a really extraordinary thing that happened at Adelaide that week. So, And it is overshadowed too, which, which we'll come to as well. So, first of all, the match situation. In the first innings, Australia were well behind. They were, they were trailing by 78 runs. Uh, our man, Roger, had made 48 on debut, batting at number eight, but... Broadly speaking, the game was going a certain way. And when he walks out in the second innings at the fall of the sixth wicket, Australia are only on 179. So they're only 101 ahead. It's all trending towards a pretty comfortable sort of England victory. Uh, They were staring down the barrel. But in walks Roger. And shortly thereafter, in walks Clem Hill. Now, Jeff... You're wondering, why is Clem Hill batting at number nine? Well, he was fucked. I am. He was so crook that they didn't think he'd be able to walk out at all. So he was, he was relegated down the he order. He fell out a window. He fell out a window. He was so ill, they didn't think he could bat, that there were reports that in the middle of Adelaide Oval, the turf was 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So one of those blisteringly hot... Um, I don't think it was. Well, they say the pitch was. I, I really don't. I'm pretty sure you would die. Yeah, if it were no, I'm not saying in the air. Fahrenheit. I think on the turf, they said it was that hot. It was baking hot. Anyway. Um, there might be a bit of mayonnaise mm. on, on that on that temperature report over the years, but I think the point they're trying to raise here is that it was extremely hot. Hardigan on debut, Clem Hill, who's seriously ill, and they put on 243 for the eighth wicket, which was the highest partnership at the time in Test cricket for Australia, full stop. No one had ever put on, no pair had ever put on 243 or more before. And that turned the whole game. Australia make 506 in the second innings. They win by 245 runs. Our man Roger um, finishes with 118 on debut from number eight. And thinking it through, Jeff, I can't imagine that anybody's made 100 for debut batting at number eight or lower, but he did on that day. And they were total heroes from being so far behind in a test match to getting over the line. They did a, a fundraiser for the two men. And out of all of that, and they, you know, as I say, they, they were treated as heroes. And Hardigan was given a gold chain and a gold watch from the mayor of Adelaide for his trouble. He actually missed the next test match because he had business commitments where he lived back in Queensland where he was a great before the war. Um, he came back for the fifth test match and didn't go so well. They took him to England in 1909, so the next season, and it didn't go well at all, really. He couldn't get himself into the test team. He had a pretty poor tour overall, uh, which meant that he never played another test match. Just played two test matches, one in Adelaide, then the fifth of that series, and and that was it. He had a long career as an administrator on the Australian Cricket Board of Control, and he was instrumental in getting Queensland into the Sheffield Shield and getting Brisbane their first test match back in 1928-29, which, of course, was Don Bradman's debut at the Exhibition Ground, Jeff where we recorded the the podcast a couple of years ago. Probably this weekend, two years ago, something like that. So Roger Hardigan is our dusty old bastard, but yes, uh, one of the more famous centuries on the 
taboo. Only two test matches, but one that mattered an awful lot. And was it overshadowed? I think it was because of Clem Hill's illness. He made 160, batting at number nine, and perhaps his most memorable innings for Australia. Well, you would hope to be overshadowed if you were in the middle of Adelaide Oval, where according to your report, it was 65.55 degrees <laughs> Celsius. I think that came from the Almanac. I, I, was, I was scanning through. I, I'm pretty sure that was the uh, Hardigan obituary from the Almanac that had it in there. And if, it is, if it's in wisdom, that's got to be true. Mm. Yeah, they said it was 180 degrees in the shade that day. <laughs> Used to wear an onion on their belt. It was the style of the time. Uh, Dane Hanstead was another of our numbers. Now, last time we had Dane, he was talking about a match between Victoria and the West Indies at Wangaratta, a memorable game in which Graham Vimpani top scored with 133. Dane... He's 116, he's added to his old number, so that 354 has become 470. But I think the point of the number is the 116, the difference between the two. This is getting very tricky. But 116 for Dane, how do you go? Yeah, well, I went with the Vimpani Wangaratta link, given that Dane's from that part of Victoria. But I didn't get mm. far. So Vimpani made three first-class hundreds. I thought one of them might have been a 116. It wasn't, unfortunately. He made a 113 and a 161 that season. The three hundreds he made in 96-97 were his only centuries for Victoria, and thus his Ooh. career ended a couple of years later. No one else made 100. Well, that's an anagram of 116. That's true. A numerical anagram, true. 116. And we did have one of those a couple of weeks ago about Clem Hill the man we were discussing mm. just a moment ago. But mm-hmm. no, there's only been one other first-class game and one List A game at Wangaratta. The List A game, Simon Kadich batted for 116 minutes, but I thought I might be grasping there. So, um, <laughs> uh, so on that basis, oh, Dane's one of our um, most dependable correspondents when it comes to solving other, other patrons' pledges. So I wondered whether he might be able to just give us a little nudge in the right direction as to where we might be looking next week for his 116. Mm. All right. And as for Dat Griffin, now this came through in Euros. The clue was that it's a recent cricket number, but not a batting or bowling figure or a score. I recall that Dat Griffin is from Germany because last time his number was the Ben Stokes uh score I believe and it was uh, it was described to us as the moment when he fell in love with cricket that was during the 2019 ashes right so that's kind of where where I was looking with this in that he was but but he's looking for something that's not mm-hmm. a completely obvious cricket sort of number yeah okay well on that basis I went to a, a couple of areas we've gone recently when it's not been necessarily about a score so I thought about like weight because we had a weight figure recently with the big ship. Uh, I can't remember what the big ship weighed in 290. pounds. 290 pounds, was it? Um, 290. Right. Yeah. So, but nobody... I'll remember that for the rest of my okay. life now. Well, well, I can tell you this categorically then. Uh, Rakeem Cornwall weighs more than the big ship. He weighs 308 pounds or 140 kilos, Rakeem the Dream. But no one jumped out as weighing 116 kegs. So we'll rule that out. I looked at birthdays. There was a birthday for Justin Langer recently. But the 11th of June and recent cricket, the only recent cricket played on the 11th of June. Well, there was no cricket at all. It was a washout between Sri Lanka and Bangladesh during the, the World Cup two years ago. <laughs> I think, though, Jeff, that might have been the day we recorded our Shade Cloth in Space pod, which is still one of the more um, downloaded apps we've ever sent out of one of our daily shows. So mm. uh, it could be the case that Dat Griffin is just a fan of that app, unlikely as it is. So for non-batting, non-bowling numbers, uh, obviously there's catching, but nobody has held 116 catches in any format yeah. 
of cricket, so no one, no one in Test cricket, One Day cricket, T Twenty cricket, or any of the women's formats. Actually, no one's hit triple figures in T Twenty internationals yet, um, or right. in any of the women's formats because they don't get to play enough games. So I think Susie Bates for sixty-seven in ODIs is the the highest catcher in a, a women's cricket format. If you combine all formats together, you do get. Uh, Kevin Peterson with 116 international <laughs> catches for England, but that seems pretty unlikely. So it's pretty much got to be in recent cricket since yeah. 2019. And I figured if DG is, you know, got into it watching Ben Stokes in 2019, probably would then have been paying close attention to the England team thereafter. Mm-hmm. They went to South Africa, what, three or four months later. They lost the first test there and then won the next three in a row. Am I remembering that right? Yep, I think you are. And the a key part, a turning point in the second test of that series after losing the first was that in the third innings of the second test at Cape Town, Joe Root and Dom Sibley had an important partnership which set up the England win in the third innings and that partnership was worth 116 runs. So there is that in terms of recent yep. cricket or in terms of other recent things that are non-cricketing numbers. December 2nd last year was Glenn Maxwell's most recent one-day international for Australia and guess how many he had played to that point? Ah. 116. That's his current career tally and that is a number that has nothing to do with batting, bowling or uh, team scores. So let us know, DG, how we've gone. Our next number is, good Lord, it's a four-way. <laughs> there, we've had we've had a triple. We've had two triples. We've had a double, and now we've got a four a joint four-person enterprise. This is keys in the bowl stuff on the final <laughs> word today. Four, <laughs> four are getting in on two dollars nineteen. Kieran Costello, Scott Lamprecht, Nick Tewson, and Reg Wilson all. Coming in for the 219 for different reasons, I'll wager. One of them, Kieran, starts with a clue that says it involves a final word guest, and, and that one was allocated to you. Adam. Yeah, and you know, we said before, Jeff, that it's quite rewarding when you just get one right without um, without having to look it up. And this was one mm. of those for me. Uh, the 219 run partnership between Stuart McGill and Dom Thornley. Of course, Stuart McGill was a guest on the show yes. uh, late last year with our live Zoom chat, and we put it out again early this year around the SCG test match. But yeah, it was a classic New South Wales uh, victory, really. Uh, they were nine for 200 on the first day of a Shield game against WA at the SCG in November 2004, so early in the season. And then Thornley just absolutely mm-hmm. explodes. He, he ends up making 261, but the partnership of 219, McGill makes just 27 of those from 70 balls, and they're in the middle for 43 overs and add 219. So they're going at you know, the better part of a runner ball throughout the course of it. But if you subtract 27 from 219, you're left with 192, which well, I suppose a few of them would have been sundries, but the vast majority um, would have been courtesy of Dom Thornley's blade. He hit 11 sixes and 21 fours, and regrettably, there's no YouTube. Now, I know there's vision of it, because I remember it was the Sports Tonight play of the day uh, that night. I remember Thrill. it well. Uh, November 2004, I know where I was when I was watching the highlights of that on Sports Tonight, but it's not to be uh, when it comes to how it's been catalogued. But anyway, they both crack on to have fantastic seasons. Uh, McGill wins the Steve War medal the first year that um, War was out of the team. He'd retired in 03-04 alongside his brother, so they named 
becomes the player of the season after him. Then McGill won that. Dominic Thornley made over a thousand runs in the season, made four hundreds, nearly got himself uh, on that Ashes tour of two thousand and five, just missed out. But yeah, they went on and won the Shield in oh four oh five, and I suppose you can link it all back to that extraordinary tenth wicket partnership between McGill and Thornley, worth two nineteen. Beautiful stuff, and yeah, I mean the the average day if Stuart McGill were walking out to bat, and you said I think he'll be there after forty three more overs, um, that that would have been <laughs> deemed to be unlikely. So a, a, least. a an absolute career great performance from SCG McGill. As for Reg Wilson, I think we kind of agreed that this sounded like a Southwest England sort of name, or it could be. Um, oh, I had that in my mind. It's purely because we... of that Justin Langer one hmm. before I thought, it's in pounds and it feels a bit Southwest hmm. England to me, and that, that's kind of where it oriented me to begin with. Yeah, so so it takes you back to Somerset, it takes you back to Marcus Triscothic, who's He's got a building named after him down there now. Sure does. It's the pavilion, right? There's one a, of the many pavilions. A few of those. Yeah. Andy Caddick's got one. Uh, Treskothic's got one. So his highest test score was 219, which is, is more notable given the circumstances, I guess, against South Africa at the Oval in 2003. They're coming into the final test uh, one down, like one test down in the series, South Africa's won two. So they need to win the series to, to get the trophy, and they do so thanks to Triscothic. It's a, a rear guard kind of performance because South Africa make 484 and England are, you know, in a position of disadvantage, and they respond with 604 for nine. Uh, Triscothic 219 from 374. There's a partnership of 268 with Graham Thorpe, and then England bowl out South Africa for 229 in the second dig. Steve Harmison takes four for sort of sign of what's to come. And, and another sign is that Michael Vaughan's captaining Nasser Hussain's absent injured. So there's little glimmers of what's coming up in 2005 and thereabouts. Triscothic makes 69 in the second innings when they're only chasing 110, so ends up with a, a huge match aggregate and... Uh, a major personal performance and uh, yeah five of the of the team from the, the 05 Ashes team are in that team to beat South Africa including Flintoff and and Giles so it's a little tea leaves moment I suppose well it's a lot easier when you're looking back isn't it yeah it definitely was though that series where Vaughan got brought into captain when NASA was injured and we spoke to NASA about that in our interview last year that sort of as he was getting towards the end and Vaughan was taking over, there was this new generation coming through and Harmison, Flintoff uh, are a big part of that with the ball, but Triscothic as well. He was the uh, he was an established player by then, of course, but in a huge game, you know, as I say, they, they needed to win here in order to um, retain the trophy or they maybe, no, they wouldn't have been to retain the trophy on reflection. They, they won in South Africa uh, the following year, but nevertheless, it was, you know, squaring the ledger with South Africa, who at the time was such a strong team, was a really big deal. Uh, South Africa were, I think, ranked number one in the world coming into that series. And Graham Smith had bossed them early in the summer with a couple of massive double tons. And they fought back into it. And yeah, Harmison with the wickets, Triscothic with a huge test match. It, it was a, a sign of things to come. Okay, next on 219, same number. Scott, who didn't give us a clue, uh, but I'm going to assume he's Australian on the basis that if we've reasoned that Reg is English based on it being pounds, if it's not pounds, I'm going to go with Scott being an Aussie. And there's a number of different 
parts of 219 relating to opening the batting. We already talked about uh, Vidu Mancad, fine Indian all-rounder and opener on the show today. Well, it was Bill Laurie's cap number, 219, and of course, you know, one of the greatest Australian openers and captains in the 60s and early 70s. We finished in 1970. It was Michael Slater's highest score in Test cricket when he was at uh, the peak of his powers in uh, the summer of 95-96 when he made 219 against Sri Lanka in Perth, and it was ever so exciting as a young bloke watching that on the telly. But earlier than that, his opening partner for the majority of his career was, was Mark Taylor. And before Slater come along, of course, there was, there was Jeff Marsh. And Mark Taylor and Jeff Marsh uh, batted all day together at Nottingham uh, in 1989, the fifth test of that series. It was just the third time that openers had batted all day, including uh, Man Cadden Roy, who we talked about before. Um, it was Angus Fraser's third test match, and Devon Malcolm was on debut, and England were on a, a bit of a hiding to nothing at that stage of the series when they'd gone through so many bowlers and, and so many players. But yes, it took until 12 past 12 on the second day before Australia lost their first wicket, and that was Marsh when the score was on 329 at that point um, it was the highest partnership ever at Trent Bridge and Taylor went on to make 219 his highest score to that stage in Test Cricket of course he went on to better that in Pakistan in, in 1998 but to then 219 was his best and he finished with 839 runs for that series where he really did announce himself as a superstar and that partnership with Jeff Marsh which was worth 329 and Nick Tewson, who's the last in our 219 quartet, that number's coming in in pounds again. So that does, so leads us towards the, uh, the idea that maybe it's about Bill Edrich, maybe it's about the 219 he made in the Durban Test of 1939, famous for being a, a drawn test match after 10 days. Now, this is one that Andy Bull at The Guardian wrote about at length in The Spin. The, the calculations are that the game started on the 3rd of March and ended 12 days later with a couple of rest days in there. 43 hours and 16 minutes of play. <laughs> 1,981 runs, 5,447 balls bowled in one test match, which would probably give you a sense as to why uh, Wally Hammond, the, the captain, was not interested in playing any more of them and said after the series that he hopes that timeless test matches uh, had been seen for the last time and, and that's indeed what happened. But I was yeah reading back over Andy Bull's report on it and it, it might be best to leave some of the explanation to him, but England was supposed to be on a ship which was sailing from Durban they wanted to play this test match and so they realised that the ship had to go around to Cape Town so they could take the train across country to Cape Town and meet it there and head home to England that way and stay on for longer in Durban. So it was due to leave on the 17th of March. It was known after having played nine days of this match that the 10th day would have to be the last as England would have to leave in the evening. So, um, so they need 200 on the last day to win England and they need 118 at lunch and they've got seven wickets in hand and people start pouring in to watch it. And this is how Andy Bull describes it. He says, soon after the interval, uh, Jim Swanton, who was doing a radio broadcast, received a message from an England supporter 15 miles down the coast. Tell Hammond to buck up. The storm has just broken at Icy Pingo. When Painter was out for 75, Jack Holmes ran out with a fresh pair of gloves for Hammond so he could pass on the message. Hammond started to hit out just a little too late. The showers started. In the rush, Hammond was stumped, and soon after, everyone went off for an early tea. 
England needed 42 runs with five wickets in hand, with two Kent batsmen still together, and as the bell was ringing to call them out for the final session, the rain started again. Play was washed out for the day. So there's this this fury locally that, that the game's poised, you know, either team could win mm. at this point. Everyone wants to see the result, and they can't, and they don't get any play before the end of the day. The South Africans suggest overnight that England could make alternative travel arrangements and fly out to Cape Town rather than take the train and still meet their boat. And Wally Hammond says, no, we've had enough. And so they call it off and they get on the train. And it was indeed the final ever timeless test played, but largely defined by the 2.19 made by Bill Edrich. That might be what Nick's referring to. Yeah, I I think there's a decent chance of that. Some other points around that test match is that they knew they needed to get out of the country and get on that ship soon because, of course, this was March 1939 and there was every chance that a global conflict was about to break out, as it did a few months later. Of course, they got the summer in, but, you know, there was, there was that climate. You didn't want to be in the middle of an ocean with the war setting off, put it that way. And the other part is, that, and we touched mm. on this on Calling the Shots, I won't get this quite right in terms of how I explain it, but it's on one of the first eps we recorded of that documentary last year that Swanton went out there and it was the first tour that was done from overseas back to the BBC. So he was doing um, these recordings on his own, calling the entire day, and it was somehow mm. getting back to England. I can't remember which technology they were using at the time, but you could listen back to excerpts of what was happening on that tour and every day of that test match that went for yeah, 12, as you say, with, with a couple mm. of rest days thrown in there. So uh, one of the more remarkable test matches played in, in so many ways and one England almost certainly would have won uh, had they been permitted to play a 13th day. Or, you know, the South Africans take five more wickets and, uh, and could have been squeak a tie. it in the end. You never could know have been a tie. We might have been script. robbed could of have a, been tie. a tie. Imagine the 11-day tie. That would have been something pretty special. We're back to a fairly regulation two-person number here. Just just the two of them. <laughs> just, just keeping things uh, biblical here. So $2.29 between Michael Gormley and Mike Dunn. Uh, Michael's pledge came in in pounds. He's a new pledger, first-time uh, caller, long-time listener. And that one's over to you, Adam. Yeah, my thinking was that we were talking about 229 on the show oh, what, a month ago or something like that when Joe Root made, I think, mm-hmm. 228 and we were lamenting the fact that... Um, and Rick Finlay, of course, keeps this tally that nobody in Test cricket has made 229 ever which seems remarkable when you look through it. I remember someone telling me once that you end up becoming an average of the five people you spend the most time with. I'm not sure how true that is, but if you look at the five numbers that bridge mm. 229 and how many times they've been made, it, it gives you a sense of how unlikely it is that 229 has never been registered. So 226, nine times, 227, three times, 228, two times, 230 on three occasions and 231 on five. So there's a lot of big tons that have been made in and around 229 mm. but no one's ever quite landed on that and when they do we will celebrate it on Nerd Pledge I'm sure Yeah, 2200s within five runs either side of it and area one has landed on 229. So no one has made 229 in test cricket but they have made 229 in one day international cricket in women's ODIs. Yep. This was the score that Belinda Clark made when she set the world record at the time. And so if if Michael's being allocated the 229 for not being made in tests, I'll allocate this to Mike Dunn. Uh, now, playing against Denmark in Mumbai may not be a classic setup for a, for a <laughs> cricketing contest. Uh, you know, probably not the strongest team in the world at the time. But the 229 was the record in any international limited overs games at the time. It was also a record in any domestic 
limited overs games at the time and stayed that way for another three years until Ali Brown made 268 in an England domestic 50 over game. And then it took more than another decade for anyone else to go past it. So Ali Brown was was an outlier with Belinda Clark until a few more players started making these kind of scores in the more sort of established T20 era, I guess, where there are maybe 10 or so scores of that scope. Now Shikhar Dawan made 248 for India A in 2013 and, and that was the next one on that list. As far as Australians getting near it. Ben Dunk equaled it in 2014 for Tassie in a 50-over game and no Australian went past it until Darcy Short made 257 for WA against Queensland in 2018, which was a couple of months after uh, it had been knocked off as the best women's international score or you know, women's ODI score rather by Amelia Kerr. Mm the New Zealand batter when she made 232 against Ireland. So ahead of her time, Belinda Clark with the 229. Uh, that might be to do with our nerd pledge number today. Fantastic, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Michael. And that brings us to the end of our new numbers. We've had a lot of people uh, captured on the show today and just really enjoying telling these stories. If you want your story to be told, patron.com forward slash the final word. Storytime will be with us every single weekend throughout the course of 2021. And it's extremely straightforward in terms of getting on the website. Jeff, there's loads of different currencies. In fact, Patreon are adding different currencies seemingly every month at the moment so no matter where you are around the world over time you'll be able to pick that at the moment there's four or five there but um, the key point is uh, pick a cricketing number as Jeff explained off the top send it through and we look forward to telling your story indeed and part of that is that sometimes we have to go back to the ones that we haven't got right so our revisits uh, which we will try to breeze through given we're an hour into the show and we've only just finished the new numbers $1.12 from Joel Emmonson with the clue better than Bannerman. Look, I went a bit elliptical with this and Joel basically said it, it was more simple than you thought it was. Um, and so did Hypercost, uh, the great online statistician who contacted us to point out Enid Bakewell carrying her bat for 112 not out in England's total of 164 against the West Indies in the third test at Edgebaston in 1979. So that means that Enid scored 68.29% of the team total, which is indeed better than the Bannerman quotient of 673 uh, She went on to take a 7 for and bowled England to victory becoming the first English player to score a century and take 10 wickets in a test. On top of all of that, it happened on the 3rd of July, which was the birthday of Charles Bannerman. Birthday. On his birthday! Um, <laughs> and, and we were talking about this, about Enid, quite a bit during the last week, Adam, because uh, a century and 10 wickets in the test, Ravichandra and Ashwin very nearly got there, didn't get to bowl towards the end and got marooned on eight wickets. But we were talking about Enid Bakewell and Betty Wilson being the only women's players to do it, and then Imran Khan, Ian Botham and Shakib Al-Hassan, the only men's players, and, and Ashwin nearly joined that raft. Very close, yeah. What a champion, Bakewell, by the way. She turned 80 last year, so there was a lot of celebration of her life and her contribution to cricket. She averaged 60 with the bat in 12 test matches between uh, 1968 and 1979 and 50 wickets at 16.2 if you don't mind so one of the truly great all-rounders across test cricket men or women in terms of other stuff I love about her and Hypercourse um, sent me down this path um, last year when I was writing my spin piece for The Guardian ar around the extraordinary longevity of Suwanji Madanyaka Enid 
Bakewell's first match on Cricket Archive appears in 1958 when she's a teenager, when she played against Audrey Collins, who had played a test before the war. And in her last county championship match, this is Bakewell, was in 1999 when she played against Beth Morgan, who was still playing for Middlesex in 2019. So Bakewell, her career, her span goes from before World War II until a couple of years ago, which is just absolutely ridiculous and, again, speaks to her remarkable life in cricket. 1958 to 1999. You're saying she had a 41-year yeah, playing career. she did. She was still playing. I think she was still playing Jesus in her late 50s. Christ. Wow. <laughs> Enid Bakewell, what a legend. Absolutely. A revisit from James Philbrook that we've been chasing for a while. It involved various clues, but the, the, the key one was that it was about milestones that we were chasing on the final word, mm. which is to do with our patron numbers, yeah. where initially we were trying to get Laxman's 281, then we were trying to get 375, then we were trying to get 499 for Hanif Muhammad's uh, record for the first-class score, and so on, and we were trying to link it to one of these in some way. Yeah, so I picked up on the 281. I kind of thought that might relate to 463, but in the end, when Laxman made his 281, it was a 452 delivery, so sort of close, but no cigar. There was another Laxman innings at the SCG, in 2008 where he made another brilliant 100 against Australia on that ground but and that was in response to Australia making 463 all out in the first inning so that was a, a bit of a long shot but maybe even too tangential for this weekly frolic. Yeah I, possibly. What I finally uh, happened onto was just a bit of phrasing where James had said it relates to a couple of milestones or some milestones that we had been chasing and thought more than one Hang on, because when we were after Hanif Muhammad's 499, the sort of natural implicit thing was that we were also after yep. Brian Lara's 501 uh, in what is now the highest score because Lara's 501 was all about chasing Hanif Muhammad's 499. That's the score that he wanted to break. And that's when I realised. So they have to relate to 463. 499 and 501 both have to relate to 463. And what is something that brings those two innings together? What is the England Test cap number of Bob Woolman? Oh, very good. It happens to be cap number 463. That is very, very good, Jeff. Extremely good from you. And I know this is a story you already know oh, because right. you didn't know that I what this answer was, but let's... Yes, that's right. So know. the only person who was at both the 499 and the 501 is Bob Woolmer. So as a kid, he was... I think he grew up in Pakistan and he was in the crowd watching uh, the Hanif Muhammad 499 and then you press fast forward uh, to 1994 and he was the coach of Warwickshire. Uh, of course, that's who Lara was playing for when he made the 501. So a little bit like Bob Simpson with the with the two tied test matches, the only player and coach who was involved in both. And Woolmer had that distinction with 499 and 501. There we go. Beautifully linked by James Philbrook. I'm glad we got there in the end and I'm very confident that that one is correct. The 327 for Jeremy Nash, which I had linked to the number of boundaries that Joss Butler had hit in Test cricket <laughs> up until that point. Um, <laughs> apparently that wasn't it. I can't believe it. I'm outraged, yeah. Adam. Yes, yes. Uh, well, look, he went on to... Uh, he, he reminded us that it was a guest of the show in 2019 uh, and, and he also went on to say that it was a, it was an Essex link and we'd forgotten big Dell boy, Derek Pringle. He came on Final Word uh, to talk about... Uh, uh, Essex doing a double uh, in September 2019 and Derek Pringle relates to 327 
for that is his economy rate, or was his economy rate, I should say, uh, in the 1992 Cricket World Cup. We all know that Pringle could easily have turned that game on its head, had a couple of uh, leg-before-wicket decisions gone his way early on with the new ball, but he was frugal throughout. Yeah, his wickets, I think his wickets came at 30-odd, but it was the economy rate, 3.27, which is why he was a, a first-choice selection at the pointy end of that tournament. Indeed, and uh, probably could have made a difference if he'd had a bit more support with the bat as well, because he, he was the only one yeah, to hang in there. Yeah when England were batting in the, in that World Cup final too. The 494 Simon Ward, I was talking about Bob Holland's bowling figures <laughs> in his during his Kenfa against the West Indies in 1985. Again, outrageously, not correct, says Simon, uh, who replied, uh, thanks for featuring the number. Good stat about Bob Holland. Not correct, but not far out in that by a nice coincidence, Bob dismissed this unglamorous player on my first ever day of test cricket. Yeah, and I was able to work this out, well, pretty easily in the end because Bob Holland only took um, six test wickets in England. And I know that um, Simon lives in Wood Green and Wood Green's in North London, North London Lords, and Bob Holland picked up a five-wicket bag at Lords in uh, the 1985 Ashes, the test they won comprehensively in that series. So the five wickets that Holland took in his five for 68 were Tim Robinson, Ian Botham, Paul Downton, who's the 488th uh, test cricketer for England, by the way, so pretty close to 490 but not quite, Phil Edmonds and Neil Foster. And out of that five, it has to be Tim Robinson, who we were talking about only a couple of weeks ago, Jeff, courtesy of Simon Trafford, but mm. Robinson made 400... And before that, this has got to be the most airtime Tim Robinson has had in a very long yes. time. He's been on about four consecutive shows of the I, th- I think you're right. But yeah, the 490, of course, is the, is the tally of runs he made across that 1985 Ashes series. He was man of the match at Leeds in the first test for his 175, made 148 at Birmingham. He only made two other tonnes across his career of 29 test matches between 1984 and 1989 so he didn't have a long career but we talked about 89 and the volatility in that England team as they went through player after player after player well he was one of those he was recalled for one test match at Old Trafford it didn't go particularly well and that was that but he'll always have uh, that famous series for him four years earlier where he made 490 and that will be Simon Ward's number. Those are our revisited numbers and a couple of confirmations that we got right Grant Cartledge's $10.33, or £10.33, I suppose it was, uh, was the 1,033 first-class wickets uh, taken by Flat Jack Simmons. Spot on, says Grant. My dad played a few seasons in the Lancashire Leagues in the same era as Jack. Uh, unfortunately, I was too young to have seen my dad play and only know that part of his cricketing history by the stories he told, including tales playing with and against a number of notable overseas and English professionals. Oddly, Dad's tales of Jack never involved the cricket, but always centred on Jack's legendary capacity for pies and fish suppers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which which doesn't entirely sit at odds with the images of Flatjack that I found online. And next up, Jeff, absolutely no surprise to hear from Rob O'Neill that you were spot on with 246.01. Factors upon factors yes. upon factors, inside fractals, inside fractals. And there you were. Rob said he wasn't much of a mathematician. He got 246.01 into Google to work out where it would take him. And the Wikipedia article told him that one of the factors was 337 and then he was on his way. <laughs> Isn't that delightful? It made, uh, it made our patron, David, very happy as well. David said he just listened to our latest story time on a commuter train from Depok to Jakarta and felt compelled to tell us that the way Jeff worked that out truly brought a smile to his face. As someone who likes dealing with numbers much more than words, I am in awe of how you can thread numbers together like poetry. Isn't that a nice message, Jeff? That is a nice message. Also because we're both 
pretty terrible with numbers and this is like the one part of our lives <laughs> in cricket stats where somehow we've been able to so do not send me challenges based on obscure mathematical concepts no. i will not get them i will not even begin to understand what you mean if, if you're out there listening thinking mm, i think i'll just there's something about the i don't know the sum of primes or like uh, impossible numbers or whatever i'm I, i'm not gonna understand it I, I can't even do a graph um so yeah just 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 bear with us on that one as much as we love the process for story time each week, if we start getting into obscure mathematical stuff each week, I mean, this already takes the majority of the week to pull together. Uh, we're probably um, uh, we're, we're probably not going to be able to take it to yet another level. No, they're, they're going to find us like curled up under our desks, expired from from too much expenditure of brain energy or something. Cricket stats are basically arithmetic, right? Like you don't need an advanced mathematical <laughs> grasp to, to do cricket stats. So that's where we're happy. Averages, we can work that out. Something divided by something. You know, ratios, it starts to get a bit shaky. The only sum that I know how to do kind of uh, without needing to look it up is how to make a percentage. You know, this divided by this times 100. But yeah, that's about as good as it gets. So thank you, Rob, for challenging me just enough, but not too much. Mary. Stevens with the 522. Well, we couldn't have been wrong because we just unilaterally decided that this was a nerd pledge, <laughs> even though Mary didn't intend it to be. So we were correct when you linked to Phil DeFreitas. So Mary said, I was listening to the show in a semi-conscious state, having been up since 4.30am when England went into bat. Loved your Phil DeFreitas story. It plucked me out of my zombie state and cheered me up hugely. I guess it should remain Schrodinger's pledge. Well, Mary, we often record the show in a semi-conscious state, so I'm glad that we can be linked in that way. And Mary also wished Winnie a happy birthday for the weekend. Thank you very much. There was one other point to that pledge. I wanted to know, I couldn't quite remember who, who Phil DeFreitas linked. I knew it was someone from a long time ago. Uh, and sure enough, there was Pat Rogers to pick up the rebound for me. He reminded me that uh, in 1986, so the second year of DeFreitas' career, he took the field with Jack Balderston, who was uh, in the Leicestershire team that day. He debuted in 1961 for Yorkshire, so a long, long time before uh, playing against or playing alongside Brian Close, who debuted back in 1949. So only a couple of degrees separation. Back to Brian Close, who I think think possibly might have played a first-class game against Bradman in 1948 as well. So um, nice linkages there from Pat Rogers. There we go. The uh, the Enid Bakewell links that cross large spans of time. Dom Bowes said we uh, got it right with his 5.33. Shane Lee's best one-day international figures, of course. <laughs> Good to get Shane Lee on the program. Uh, Mark Stein ticks off uh, Peter Siddle on his birthday, as in 5.33. 5 for 33 was uh, what Peter Siddle had after he took the hat-trick. He went on to take one more wicket in that innings. Mark says he's been a bit behind recently, just managed to catch up. It couldn't be anything else, he says. But Peter on his birthday. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, Dom. To finish off, a little bit of correspondence relating uh, to the Bannerman uh, thread we've had going uh, on the show over the last couple of weeks. Glenn Finkeld made a good point. Uh, he says the irony of the Bannerman having to be 10 wickets, which he agrees with, is that in 1877, Bannerman's famous innings, they actually only lost nine wickets. Of course, that's because Bannerman actually retired hurt. So it wasn't that he made his 165 not out. Nor was he out. He was retired hurt. So technically Australia were nine down, all out. 
that still counts, of course. You can be all out having lost nine wickets if that is the case. Mm. Uh, it doesn't work if it's simply a declaration, which this wasn't. So uh, thanks to Glenn for picking that out for me. Yeah, th- that does come up in a fair bit of cricket. And Glenn is right. You don't have to be 10 wickets down, but you do have to be all out. Yes. So, I mean, Sri Lanka in that World Cup game against Jeff Thompson were seven down all out, I think, because three of them were uh, <laughs> carted off to hospital. So, yeah, Bannerman had his finger split open, I think, from memory. Yep. So, but that still counts as all out if you're, you know, if you're doing your, your stats guru stuff or whatever and you look for all out innings, they may not always be 10 wickets down, but they will not have a wicket number after it because they will be all out. They'll be considered closed. There's another nomination from Kieran Barnes Jenkins for Bannerman-like activities. 72.4% was the return by Harsha De Silva in the firsts at my club West Coburg recently. He made 94 not out out of 130 all out, a return to form for Harsha. The poor bloke had barely made a run in the last 18 months, but then made 72.4% of the total and uh, robbed of a ton (laughs) by his teammates falling away. So if you've got other Bannerman-esque returns in terms of percentages of runs scored in a completed innings, please let us know. We are keen to add to our store. That we are. Well played, Harsha. And well played, Kieran, who's uh, sent us an additional piece of information. Hasn't told us whether we got his nerd pledge right last week and we can come back to that next week. That's the beauty of the show. It's going to be here week after week after week. I'll make one point in closing before we put a bow on this. It's that, as you may have noticed today, we didn't have a sponsor. That means that if you want to be the sponsor of Storytime, if you want to have uh, your company or your brand message out there to the thousands and thousands of people who listen to Storytime around the world each week, drop us a line, finalwordcricket at gmail.com or get in touch with us on Twitter or Patreon. All our details are in the show notes. Indeed, and if you want to be part of the show, patreon.com slash the final word. It is the miraculous way that we are now able to do this show uh, every week and do our weekly show every week and then do the daily shows when there are test matches on uh, because all of the wondrous, glamorous, lovely folk on Patreon who make it happen. You have quite literally changed our lives. Beautifully put. A nice place to leave it. Thanks to the team at Bad Producer Productions for making our show, to DC who edits us and to Astrid and Jay for the fantastic work they do, badproducerproductions.com. Thanks to Seabus Super. Thanks for listening. Thanks for everyone nerd pledges and all your correspondence it is so much fun making this program this has been the final word story time with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon we'll talk to you again for the weekly show in the middle of next week I had to go about it